specifically for our situations and in our life, God, ask that you would give me um, divine revelation, God, as we speak today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's jump right into it. If our sound people, uh, visual people, 1 Corinthians, the first chapter and the 10th verse. 1 Corinthians 1 and 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there is no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. This sounds like a plea for unity to me. Um, why is unity so important? Because Romans, the 12th chapter and the 4th through the 5th verse says, just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. Say, I belong, I belong. to one body. We all belong to each other is what it says. This sounds so beautiful, but we must understand that it, because we are walking together and we're all human beings, there will be some conflict. Amen? Amen. That's just truth. How does, uh, how does the Bible tell us to handle conflict? Matthew, the 18th chapter, the 15th through the 17th verse says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him. Say, I cannot, I cannot avoid, avoid situations. Because the Bible tells us very clearly, if we have an issue, we need to do what? Go to our brother. It says, if he listens to you, you have gained a brother. If he listens. Oh, but what if he doesn't listen? Then the Bible says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. What does that look like? I have a problem with you. I don't put you on blast in front of everybody initially. I go to you in love, and we learned all those things last week so I can approach it in a way that is healthy, not attacking. And so I go to you and I talk to you and I say, hey, here's the issue. This is what's going on. Let's try to deal with it. If you refuse, then I say, let me bring somebody else in. Bring somebody else in that is um, also full of the Spirit. Bring someone else in that is not a stirrer of the pot, that is not a gossiper. So you want to bring somebody else in that's uh, wise and has some, some discernment themselves. Amen? Amen? So we bring two or three people in to establish, hey, I'm, I'm going to my brother to establish this. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be as the Gentiles and the tax collectors. Leave him alone. You, you've gone through the proper steps. You went to him one-on-one. -on -one. You went to him with two or three other people. You brought it before the church. The issue is still resolved. That means there is an unwillingness in that person's heart to change. You can't keep trying to change somebody who's not ready to change. Because we say this, I cannot change anybody. You can't change anybody else, I should say. You can change yourself. But you can't change anybody else, no matter how nice you are or how mean you are. People are going to do what they're going to do. Okay? So um, we have to remember we cannot allow things to just stay in our hearts and fester and, and become bitterness and, and strife. And we carry that stuff around. And we already learned, I think it was like two or three weeks ago, Pastor Sean talked about forgiveness. And she talked about where there is... Uh, Envy and strife, there is every evil work. It opens the door when we have strife in our heart. So we don't want to let those things fester in our hearts. We need to go ahead and deal with those things. Amen? Um, but the other thing is you don't want to just pretend like everything is so bad and you automatically cut off every relationship the first time you get hurt. 
he hurt me or she hurt me, so I'm done. That's not how relationships work either. You do have to learn how to work through some good and some bad because relationships are vital to our quality of life. Um, we know God is serious about restoration because in Matthew, the fifth chapter, the 23rd verse, Matthew 5 and 23, says, If you have an offering and you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go first and be reconciled with your brother. Then come back and offer your gift. God is very clear about the way he, want, he wants us to be in unity and have not to be uh, carrying around offense and bitterness and resentment and just keep going like it's not, like it's not there. Amen? So um, I've had to do that. I remember going up once. And I was ready to give, and God was like, no, you, you need to go handle that first. I was like, oh, okay. Let me go talk to this person before I give my offering. Why? Because he, he wants us to have a heart that is receptive, and he has a heart that can produce. The word that we receive is seed. Our, our heart is ground. We can't allow bitterness and resentment to keep our heart from receiving what God has for us. Amen? So we're going to talk about two common themes that come up when you're talking about resolu- or resolving conflict. And the first one is boundaries. All right. So what is a boundary? A boundary is a line that marks the limit of an area. Boundaries define what is me and what is not me. Um, boundaries tell us what we are responsible for and what we're, res- or what we're not responsible for. Galatians, the sixth chapter and the second verse says, carry each other's burdens in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So this tells us that we are responsible to others, but we are responsible for ourselves. We are responsible to others, but for ourselves. Again, Galatians 6 and 2 says, carry each other's burdens in a way that in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. But go down, Galatians 6 and 5 says, each person should carry his own load. That almost seems contradictory. It says you carry each other's burdens, and then it says, no, everybody should carry their own. Well, let's look at it. The Greek word for burden means excessive burden, excessive burden, which means when someone has something excessive and they are weak, I help them. But the word load, which is verse six, uh, verse five, which says each person shall carry their own load, that is like your daily amount, your daily um, cargo. You just carry your own stuff. What happens is there are times when people act like their daily cargo is a boulder and they want everybody else to carry their daily load. Does that make sense? But then there are times when they act like their boulder is cargo and they, want, they refuse to allow other people to help them. So it's either you're carrying everything by yourself or you don't want to carry anything. There has to be some middle ground, okay? So that can cause us to have some problems if we're in relationships. Because if someone's trying to get you to carry stuff that they're supposed to be carrying, that means you're neglecting something that you need to be carrying. Okay? So, uh, com- poor boundaries can show up as somebody meddling in other people's business, enabling someone being mistreated or not speaking up for themselves or allowing mistreatment to happen or to continue. I often hear people say that boundaries are difficult because we don't want to be selfish and we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. But I didn't really want to say nothing because I didn't want to seem like I was mean. We're going to see some examples today, and they may appear mean. But they're not because Jesus did them, and he didn't do wrong. 
Because literally, literally, all, my examples are going to come straight from Jesus. We're just going to say, that's what Jesus did. So that's what we should do. Okay. Because I figured that was safe. Y'all might be like, nah, that was Paul. That was Peter. No, we're talking to Jesus. So the word tells us that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. It doesn't say we love them more than. Why is that important? Because if you keep putting everybody else's needs above your needs, pretty soon you're going to be way down on the totem pole and you're going to have some resentment. So um, Matthew, the eighth chapter and the 22nd verse, if you can pull that up. Matthew 8 and 22. It says, but Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. What was going on here? Some man come, some man wants to come follow Jesus. And he says, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, okay, you can follow me. He says, but wait, I have a funeral. My daddy. How many of you would think that that was pretty important? Your dad's funeral. Jesus turned around to this dude, look here. Let the dead bury the dead. Now, was he being insensitive by our cultural standards? Yes. <laughs> what he understood, however, was that he has a mission. And he's, um, this shows very clearly he understood that if you're going to go on this journey with me, there are some things that must be established. You have to think the same way. If someone's going to go on a journey with you, there are certain things that have to be established. Does that make sense? Like, let's say I have a rule, which I do. You don't talk about my pastors. So if you're going to ride with me and we cool, you can't be like, man, I just think, I just think the Stricklands, they just trifling. And, oh, okay then. Bye. We have established the rule. You can follow the rule or you can walk. And I will still love you. That's the thing. I don't cut off my love because you're not riding with me. I, I say, I love you. You want me to call somebody for you? But you, we can't ride together if you are not fi- uh, following the rules that are established, which I don't have that problem, by the way. Okay. Amen. So first, we must establish what it takes to eat for people to go on the journey with us. Some of us don't even know what it takes. If you got a lot of negativity in your life, why are you around people constantly that are negative? You, you may have to establish, that can't ride with me. You have to establish the things that are allowed to go with you on your journey. The other part is to realize that differing people have differing roles in your life. Everybody ain't meant to be a part of your in, in, in crowd. Some people are there for you to help. Some people are there to help you. Some people are there kind of, you know, your colleague, we're on the same, we're on the same wavelength. Everybody has a different role, and if you get those roles confused, it can be very damaging to your life. There is a saying that says there are people who can be there for a season, a reason, or a lifetime. Sometimes we get those people all confused, and we get the people that were supposed to be there in spring, in the summertime, and, and we're wondering why it's not working out because they were just supposed to be there for a short time. And if, you're not, if you don't pray and spend time with God and have a spirit of discernment, we'll carry people much further on the journey than they were ever intended to be. 
So there are people literally that's just supposed to kind of cheer you on and encourage you. But now you've made them the person that speaks into your life and, and give you wisdom. They're, they weren't supposed to have that role. So you have to spend time with Christ and understand. Jesus was always surrounded by crowds, but he only really hung with 12 people. But even in the 12, he didn't even hang with them as much. It was only about three people that he really trusted to see some of the more vulnerable parts of him. Understand, you can be liked by millions, but everybody don't need to know and should not have access to your intimate self because everybody cannot handle you at your best or your worst. I need to be able to see you at your worst and still be able to, to recognize the greatness on the inside of you. If I can't, I'm probably, I'm, I'm too, that's too much. Does that make sense? So it's very important. Let's go to Matthew, the 12th chapter. Here's another example. Jesus is setting boundaries. So that first boundary, he says, just because you are, um, what, what are we talking about? Just because you say you want to do something with me does not mean you're ready. Does not mean we have the same commitment level. Matthew, the 12th chapter in the 46th through the 50th verse. Matthew 12. This one's probably going to sting a little bit. Matthew 12, verse 46 through 50. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. Keep going. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, here are, my, here are my mother and brothers. Now, again, I'm just using Jesus, right? Your mama came and your mama said, come outside and talk to him. And Jesus said, who is my mama? Again, by our standards, African-American in particular, but she would have been like, I'm your mama. <laughs> Don't, I'm the one. Who was in the stable, Jesus. But we were in a different time. But Jesus is very clear, very, very clear. He says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Not because he's a mean-hearted person. He understood vision and mission. So the next point is allow God, purpose, and vision to determine relationships rather than blood. Allow God purpose and vision to determine relationships rather than blood that's so hard for some people <laughs> that may even seem really really harsh but if you do it the other way around you set yourself up for disappointment if a certain person does not live up to the expectation that you had of that role then you're angry what does that mean if your mama can't do what you think a mama should do then you're upset but God can have somebody to fill a role for you that biologically is not there. Does that make sense? But if you're still mad because he's supposed to or she's supposed to do this based on biology, you're ticked off for the rest of your life. And God could have brought somebody in your life to fill that role in a healthy way. I don't have any resentment towards my biological father who is not really there. I don't have any resentment because I have a father. 
But if I was so ticked off at him that I couldn't even focus on what, had God, what God had brought. So you have to understand it's not just about biology because some people with their, your DNA, they don't know anything about where God is taking you. They, are, they, are, they absolutely don't have the emotional, mental capacity to give you advice about what your destiny, about what God has for you. And if you stay tied to the fact of genetics, you will stay tied. So it says, accept people for who they are, but allow God to show you their role in your life. Some people in here right now are struggling because they feel compelled to keep pulling somebody out of a mess just because it's their mama or their sister or they whatever. But that, man, that, that's blood. That's, I mean, you know, it's family. That's all you got in the end. Unless you don't have them. That's, we say this kind of stuff, but it's not always true. That's not all you got if you found some more people. <laughs> Find some more people. I love my family. I do. And I like them, too. I actually really like my family. But that's not all I got. If they decide today they ain't rolling with me, I'm like, well, man, we had some good times. But I'm going to keep living. Hey, man, that's why people end up so hurt because they're so stuck. But that was my so-and-so, and and I can't believe my so-and-so did that to me. I can't believe a father would walk out on a child. That sucks to be that dad that walked out on that child. But I don't have to stay neglected or abandoned in that place because God can fill that role. Amen? Amen. So, Jesus is the Savior, not you. Say that one. Say, Jesus is the Savior, not me. Allow God himself to guide your decisions as far as involvement in these situations and not your emotions. Allow God to guide your decisions as far as involvement with your family. You got that one cousin, that sister, that brother who always, they can't ever get that rent. You done got, you got them a new job that make enough money to pay the rent. And they still can't afford to pay the rent. And you chip in every month because, you know, I mean, that's, a, that's, that's, that's my family, man. She got a baby. You know what I'm saying? You can't let the kids starve. Feed the baby. So, some people have not yet changed because they have not made a decision to change. Let's look at another example of Jesus, Matthew 21 and 12. Matthew 21 and 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all of those who brought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. When we set things in order, that is godly. Even if it's not done with cupcakes. When you set things in order, that is godly. 
even if it's not done with sweetness and like, hey, because typically if things have to be said in order, it needs some firmness because things are out of order. And so people like to maintain what, what they're doing. Anytime you bring change, people don't like that. Even if it's for the, their good, people typically resist change. So when you come in to establish order, you cannot expect that that's going to come from some timid place because people are going to resist it. So you have to say, this is out of order, and this has to be changed. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, let's look at John, the fifth chapter, and the first through the 14th verses. John 5. This making sense? Oh, sorry. John 5, 1 through 4. Okay. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep a gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of waters. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. Keep that in mind, 38 years. Keep going. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he was all, knew that already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps forward. Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And he started making excuses. Hey, do you want to, to keep living paycheck to paycheck? Man, this the reason because I had to. No, 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 no. Do you want to keep living in this? Do you, you want to keep on getting the same kind of man every single time? Well, I was, when I was five, do you want to keep seeing this cycle in your life? Immediately, he came up with an excuse. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. <clears throat> we'll actually stop there for a second. What happens? He says, do you want to be well? The man starts making excuses. Jesus says, get up. He does. What did Jesus do? He made that man. He didn't just go over there and like start rubbing on him. He said, you have to make the first step. He says, you got to get up. That's what it, when we're talking about boundaries, we have to be willing to put some expectation on the other person. Hey, you got to stand up. I cannot keep doing it over and over and over again. You got to stand up. Yes, the healing, the graces is available for you, but you've got to make the step to, to, to be a part of the process. Pashan says it so eloquently. You have to participate in your own rescue. Amen? So um, keep going. Where are we? The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me, who, who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Keep going. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who he was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said, see, you have, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Okay. After Jesus helped him, he gave him some guidelines to continue to live. He says, I gave you some healing. Now, I need you to go and not sin anymore. When we help, 
anybody, it's okay to give guidelines to maintain those, those whatever. Hey, you know what? I'm going to pay your rent, but I need you to miss the mall for the, for the next six months. <laughs> I, <laughs> I need you to miss the mall. <laughs> you got clothes. <laughs> miss the mall. It was on sale. But you didn't have your rent. Right, that sale was for somebody else. It's for, it's for you after your rent is paid up six months. Miss it. Okay, so um, let's go to John. No, I'm sorry, Luke, the fifth chapter. In the 16th verse, Luke 5 and 16. Are we seeing how Jesus is establishing boundaries? Do they always seem nice? But we don't think he's not like Christ, right? Because <laughs> he is Christ, the Christ. Luke 5 and 16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Hmm. Did he do it just like a little bit? Often, Jesus would get by himself, and he wouldn't like go and just like start saying la 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 la. Where was it? So oftentimes he said, "This is a lot. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna rejuvenate myself through prayer." He got wisdom instruction, comfort, guidance, insight. He got all of these things when he got away from everything else. Sometimes we can't hear God because we hear, we're around so much other stuff. It's hard to deal with conflict when you got your mama telling you how you should respond and your grandma telling you how to respond, and they're different. And then you're talking to your uncle who, who had something similar one time in 85. And so you're, you're having all these different people give you their advice. You've got to say, oh, let me just get by myself for a little while and pray. The other thing is sometimes physically we're just tired, and you have to take care of yourself. It is impossible to pour from something that is empty. You can't just keep going, 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 and be like, nah, I'm good. So I know some of y'all watch the show. I watch it. This is us. Any of y'all watch the show? So there's a, there's a character, and in case y'all ever want to catch it, I ain't going to try to give it all away. But on the show, there's a character who has this expectation of perfection in his life. And he's going to be the savior of everybody. And he got to keep it all together, except it becomes too much, and he has anxiety attacks. You do realize, again, we already said this, Jesus is the Savior, not you. Jesus, woo, da-da-da, me, I help and do what he tells me to do. So what Jesus is showing us very clearly, it says he got away from so all that noise and he took care of himself. Um, so I would like to talk about some ways to establish boundaries. 
The very first way is, y'all know I'm, I like to talk, with our words. I want everybody to say this with me. No. That's a complete sentence. That is a great way to establish a boundary. Just by saying no. I know you got five kids, and, and you already have to take care of your mama in the hospital, and you got to bake for the so-and-so, but can you? No. No, because you just went down the reasons why I can't. I got five kids, I got to take care of my mama, and I got to do this other thing. Why would you even come to me? So you can use your words by saying no. No is a very important phrase when establishing boundaries. Other things you should say when you are establishing boundaries. I disagree. I will not do that. I don't like that. Stop. That's not acceptable behavior. I know this sounds super childish. I know it does, but I'm not trying to be insulting at all. This is what you have to say to people when you're talking to them. Will you do No. Somebody come up and hit you. I don't like that. I know you were playing, but I don't like that. Please don't do that again. You don't have to be rude about it, but you do have to establish where you end and where I begin. There are some rules to where I, where my space. And if I don't like something, I can say that. Even, you know, Pastor Shannon talk about in marriages, there are people that go through things that do, their spouse does and they don't like it and they don't say anything. So, so sexually, he thinking he like, da, da, da. And you over there mad for 13 years. And all you had to do was say, baby, I, I, I really don't like when you bite my cheek. That ain't, that ain't the business. You like that, don't you? <laughs> no, sir, I don't. I don't like that. I know how you love to suck my toe. I don't. I don't. And so, so if, we don't, if we don't establish what we like, what we don't like, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, people will keep on. And, they, and the thing is, it will, in this particular example, he will be proud of it doing it more because they think it's something that you like or that you don't mind. That's not just sexual. That's anything. People will keep on because they don't re realize that you don't like that. If I walk up to you and tell you how fat you are every time I see you, you, Matt, girl, I see you that guy in that little white. You, I oh, look chunky, thick around the middle. Every time I see you and you don't ever stop me, I'm just gonna keep on. Oh man, that's our relationship. She cool with it. That's that's we. That's she know I'm playing. She don't know she playing. You, she go home crying. You think you playing? And she mad at you deep down, but she won't say, man, every single time you make that comment, that hurts my feelings. It's okay to say, I don't like that. That hurt my feelings. It's okay just to say, that's rude. Don't, don't say that. Okay. So use your words. What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? In relationships, if someone's talking bad to you, you can say, that's not appropriate to talk to me that way. That's not acceptable for you to use that kind of tone. What you going to do? I'm not going to stand here and listen to it. I'm not going to stand there for you to berate me for five minutes. Why? That's not, I, I, am a, I, I am 
establishing a boundary because I refuse to establish one. I'm establishing a, an acceptance because if you stand there and you dog me out and I just stand there and I'm like, oh, oh he, he's so mean to me. Walk away. Literally, walk away or say that I, I'm not going. When you talk to me in a tone that is appropriate, we can have this conversation. But until then, I'm going to here and I'm finna watch some more TV. I'm finna go pray. I'm finna go run. I'm going shopping. I'm doing whatever I want to do, but I will not stay in this place that is unhealthy for me. Okay. So the other thing can be, which kind of goes along with distance, is another way that you establish boundaries. Sometimes you physically may have to remove yourself from a situation. He keep hitting me. Girl, leave. Abuse is not okay. Physical abuse is not okay. Verbal abuse is not okay. Right. Emotional abuse is not okay. So, he says, sometimes you may have to distance yourself. The other thing is you may have to limit your interactions. I had a, I had a um, person to talk about how, their, how negative their parents were. Oh, and every time I talk to them, it takes me like three days to like get back to a place. Well, how often are you talking to them? Because, I, well, I, ha- I call her every day. Why are you calling her so much if she sets you in? Because I don't want her to. So you just going to keep on doing this cycle. Some people just want to complain. They're not ready for change. So you can't keep on allowing somebody to do something that doesn't sit well with you and expect that that's just going to automatically change. Amen? So when I say limit the interactions, what if you call mama and she's positive for the first five minutes and then she gets negative? You can talk to her every day if you want to. But when she starts getting negative, you say, mama, I got to go. I love you. You know what that does? That starts to train her brain. Every time I get negative, she hang up. Pretty soon, mama going to quit calling you or she going to stop being so negative. The same thing is true with your friends or at work. If people are always bringing gossip to you and you accept it, they're going to keep bringing gossip to you. But if you say, mm, I don't want to hear that because that's, that's not going to be productive in this work relationship, they'll stop bringing gossip to you. You have taken some gossip to somebody who didn't respond the way you wanted to and you didn't take no more to them. Because you wanted it to be fun and you was like, girl, let me tell you so-and-so. And they was like, hmm. Sounds like we really need to pray. And they just left, and you didn't take no more gossip to that person because they established a boundary that they're not a gossip. The other way to establish boundaries is to have consequences. Second Corinthians, I mean, I'm sorry, Second Thessalonians 3 and 10 says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Well, that sounds like a consequence. You can work then you can eat. You cannot work, and you can watch me eat, because I'm going to eat. <laughs> I'm going to work, and I'm going to eat. So it's not your responsibility to keep people from experiencing natural consequences. When you keep people from experiencing the natural consequences of their behavior, you keep them immature. If you keep them from experiencing natural consequences, you keep them immature. I said, Brielle, don't climb on that table. Brielle's going to be big and bad. Brielle, don't climb on that table. I messed around and turned around. She stuck that little leg up there and fell. 
I bet you, Bria, I ain't been back up on that table. She said, Mommy, Mommy, I fell off that table. Mm-hmm, that's why Mommy said, don't get on that table. Understand that that's not just for two-year-olds. If I keep, right, 15, 20, sister, cousin, if every time your cousin go out and blow her check on the casino and you keep paying the rent, you allow her to keep blowing her check at the casino. Okay. So, those are ways to establish boundaries. Now we're going to talk about building trust. Any questions about boundaries? Okay. Y'all ask after church. So when you was talking about them boundaries up there. And then you're going to think I'm mad because I'm going to say the boundary was I told you what time to ask the question. And I live in Conway, so Ralph and them look like they about to go. Okay, so building trust. I know everybody in here has had somebody in your life to betray you, that you love, and you thought, I can't believe so-and-so did that to me, right? We were supposed to be whatever, boys, sisters, cousins, whatever. We were supposed to be, that was supposed to be my forever. But... But they still hurt you. And the thing is, it may not have been intentional. All hurt is not like I set out to, I'm going to get Jennifer. I'm, I'm, You're going to feel me. No, sometimes we hurt people because we're hurt. Sometimes we hurt people because we're jealous. Sometimes we, it's a, plenty of reasons why people hurt other people. Okay? So if you get caught up in the whys, you're going to be stuck. People will hurt you. That's a fact. Accept it. You will be hurt. I'm sorry, Pastor look at me like I'm so mean. People will hurt you. I don't mean every person is going to be like, like knocking you out. I'm saying hurt is inevitable. <laughs> right, unless you're going to be an island person just out there by yourself. And then you're going to get mad at a bird or something. You're going to find something's going <laughs> to Right. You be mad at look. Never mind. Okay, so rebuilding trust, um, it seems like nothing hurts more than when we're betrayed or attacked by someone we love and trust. Betrayal can come in many forms, dishonesty, disloyalty, um, being unfaithful, someone withholding love or affection from us, abuse. All of these these things can, can hurt us and they can damage us. But the truth is when we're talking about rebuilding trust, you have to go out on faith. Okay, now... What I mean, uh, there is always a cer- uh, uncertainty of how things are going to turn out exactly. We just don't know exactly how everything's going to turn out. Um, after a betrayal, though, you can assess a situation and make an accurate uh, appraisal of what the future could possibly be like. What do I mean? Does this person seem sincere in their apology? Does this person have a history? Was this a one-time thing or is this a pattern? Overall, are they a person of integrity, and this was just a one-time event? Do do these questions make sense? 
So if you came up, if every time I've been around you, you're really nice, but one day you, you, you were really mean and you said some rough stuff to me, but when I confronted you, you were super sorry. You said, look, this is what was going on. I can assess that that's probably not going to be the norm of our relationship. But if you have a pattern, or if I come to you and you're like, man, sounds like you were just too sensitive to me. Oh, you don't really seem like you really want to change. People will show you or give you a glimpse of whether or not they're ready for some change in their life. Amen? People would, hey, I take responsibility. Are they taking responsibility for the act or are they blaming you for it? All of these are questions that will, will kind of show. In, it says, were the what were the circumstances that played a role? Um, does the betrayal seem to reflect their overall character? Has he or she broken trust in a similar way with you in the past or with others in the past? Is this a, like a pattern with them? And he done cheated three times. And he said, my, I'm sorry. It's likely that he's going to cheat again. In the big picture, is it more good than bad in this relationship? You're looking at the big picture, not just this one incident all the time. Everybody, your sister, y'all been great. Y'all had a wonderful relationship, and then she says something or she does something that you don't like. But overall, you've had a really good history. That may be a relationship you really want to stick through and work through. I say it may. Because, again, we always go to God to say, God, is this a person that I need to cut off or is this something I need to work through? Is this one, is it time? Is this the season? Or is this something that we need to push through? Because, because if we just jump out there on our emotions, we'll just start cutting people off or we'll start hanging on for dear life. Because people typically kind of extreme. Pastor Sean said, we called it a long-suffering ministry. She's she not in the long-suffering ministry. I'm probably way more in it than she is. I'll try to work with you and give you a lot of chances. Let me see, because I believe in the potential. And Jesus is a God of kinetic energy, not just potential. We can't keep, keep hanging on to relationships because they have the potential to do something great in our life. Amen? Amen? If it's not doing something great, better check the batteries. So, relationships are vital to our well-being. Without difficult times, however, um, or through difficult times, we can strengthen our relationships. That does not mean every time something bad happens, you got to cut it off. You can actually build and be so secure because you realize how you see how you work through that problem. When you work through an issue with somebody, you can look back and go, man, they saw me at the very worst and they're still there. But we work through that in such a healthy way. So that's what I have for boundaries. I could go a lot deeper or a lot more, but I'm stopping. Any questions? Again, boundaries and rebuilding trust. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. I think you, it starts with the, that self-talk. Start to say, say that to yourself because then it becomes more real to you. Get around people that have healthy relationships 
Because when there is nothing more glaring being around somebody with a healthy relationship and then you realize yours is not. So get around healthy relationships and say those things. This relationship is toxic for me. The other thing is spend time with God about your own value. Because the more you begin to feel value for yourself from God, the less you're going to tolerate junk. The same thing is with the devil. Pastor Sean talked about it in Confessions. There are certain things you just stop tolerating. You're like, sickness is not allowed in this house, so I'm not going to tolerate it. When you realize who you are in Christ, there are things with relationships you just will stop tolerating. You'll say, mm-mm, God died on the cross for me. You think I'm finna stay in this relationship where you're talking crazy to me every day and I feel like I'm not worth anything? That is so I, I think especially when, when we have that, starting with the self-talk, this is, this is toxic for me. I love them. Don't confuse love with a boundary. It does not mean because you establish a boundary you don't love that person. You can still love people. People go to hell all the time, and Jesus loves them. And not, not one time is he actually sending them or making them go. It's a choice that they made, and because he has boundaries, he does not cross the boundary. He don't jump over there and be like, no, I can't let you, no. He was like, come to me, come to me, come to me. And they say no. He says, come to me, come to me, come to me. They say no. He, he got some other people, and that's a natural consequence of their actions. We cannot rescue. If Jesus don't rescue people from their natural consequences, we can't jump in there and be that buffer. Great question. Any other? Yes, sir. For some people, it's a lot of time for me to go to jail. <laughs> we got you. I think you have to get more knowledge. Like, you have, you have to. Go ahead. So let me say this. Because, because sometimes, let me say this. Because sometimes you can get caught up in the example, and the example throws you off. It is no different than you having a child, and you tell that child multiple times that they are supposed to do their homework, and then you find out that they, they don't do it, and then you do it for them so that they get it turned in. You're st- and then they're going to go right back to the next time not doing their homework. So don't get, don't get caught up into the example of whether it's going to jail or not. The issue becomes that even as a parent, you have to get to the place where you love your child enough 
to allow them to suffer the consequences. And and as long as you will get your emotion involved where you're trying to rescue your kid and keep them from something, you are only delaying the inevitable. The earlier in life that you can teach your child that there are natural consequences, the better off you are. I give you a prime example. My kids know that at the end of the day, they can get every single dime I got. But when kids grow up, they have to learn how to manage their money. My daughter, who was in college, and she may be listening, I don't know, but I'll tell this story. She kept spending all of her money all of it. She would get her money and within a week she spent all her money expecting me to be able to, to, to fund her next three weeks. And I kept doing it. And part of the reason I kept doing it is because when I was in college, I didn't have anybody to do it for me. And so sometimes in life, you want to give your kids what you didn't have. And the reality of it is, is you like, if I had to struggle, I don't want my kid to struggle. But if you don't figure out you're going to let this adult go into the world, ain't nobody else going to do that. And so whatever monster you create, you have to kill. And so what I did is I drew up a contract, a legal contract. I brought her into that boardroom. I made her sign it. I made her understand it. And I told her I loved her. But if she violated, I'd sue her. And if you don't learn to do that with your kids, you set them up for failure. So what I would tell that mother is, mother, I love you, but you know he ain't going to change. You're going to mortgage your house. You're going to give all this money away. And at the end of the day, he still ain't going to do nothing. I hate to say it, but maybe getting raped will make him change. The reality of it is, is that if you don't do something different, he's going to keep doing what he did. And that's the truth. Watch this. And it's the mamas at church that everybody praying for. And we having sales to, so that we can pay the rent for the mama because she done paid for the son who won't. Do, and so it has a ripple. Your decisions don't just affect you. And so we got everybody in here trying to keep Miss Buola's Buola. We're going to be Buola. We trying to keep her in her house because she, done, she keep on rescuing her grandson who keep on doing the same thing. And so now, Miss Maddie Mae over here, she's starving because she's trying to help Miss Buola keep staying in her house. And everybody's struggling because John John won't stay off the streets. That don't make no sense. Let Lock him up. John John is making the decision. That does not feel good to see anybody you love in a negative situation. It never feels good. But it is better See, you'd still tag team. <laughs> it is better. It is better to have someone to establish and feel their natural consequences. Watch this. If you mean to your wife, one of the natural consequences is she might not stay there. That, that's, a, that's a natural consequence. You keep being mean to your wife, she might leave. No, the, the Lord won't. He honors marriage. Yes, he does. And he will fight for you, but he does, not, he does not want his daughters being abused physically, mentally, emotionally, and talking about, hey, you made the decision, stay in it. That's not even the character of God, where he just says, you made it, and I'm not going to help you. So, okay, any more questions? That was good. Any other boundaries or building trust questions? 
Building trust, too, I didn't say this. You have to allow God to heal your heart. You have to allow God to heal your heart when you're talking about building trust with people. Because that part, if, if I shoot you, you can forgive me, but it's still, it's, it's still some pain associated with that. And just because there is pain doesn't mean that I haven't forgiven you. It means that it's pain. And it takes a process to heal that pain. What, what I have to do is keep walking in love even though it still hurts. And the more I walk in love, the less it hurts. And over time, you look up and like, hmm, I don't even feel that no more. So just because it still hurts doesn't mean you haven't forgiven, but you do have to forgive and allow healing. Yes, sir. Pick me. Okay, I'm going to make sure I understand your question. How can I make sure that I say what I, I do what I say I'm going to do? That I, the, I keep the boundaries I, I've already established for myself? Okay, that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you recognize the need? Establish the boundary and follow through. Okay. How do you recognize the need? internally your body will tell you when you're uncomfortable with a situation. Like if somebody, if Ralph said, hey, Nitra, I need $200, I'm going to say, here you go. I don't feel any discomfort with that. If somebody else, if my little brother called me and said I need $200, I ain't giving you $200. What, what, what? There is something on the inside of me that has a different reaction. Not because I, I value Ralph more than the other one, but I trust Ralph more than the other one. Does that make sense? So you want me to do something for you or you touch me in a way I don't like. I know I don't like it. I know I get some kind of internal. You could say it's the Holy Ghost. You could say it's your gut. It's a uh that says something about this makes me not want to do this. And so stay there. Feel it. Acknowledge it. Don't dismiss it. And, and so that's how I would say recognizing it um, to establish it. Looking at it from an objective standpoint, I guess I would say, um, to establish a boundary, what would be acceptable if this were not blood? How would I tell somebody else to respond in this situation? Um, Another way to establish the boundary. When you mean, when you say establish, you mean like how to get the other person to know what it is? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, but go ahead. I was going to say, when you recognize that that's a problem with you, you can write down that that's a problem with you. So you, you start working on that. Okay, I know that this is an issue for me. So I'm going to start working on it. Pastor Sean talked about it whenever she, like you see the issue before, you plan how you're going to prepare, how you're going to respond to an issue before it comes. Example, if somebody, you ever said, if somebody do that to me, I'm going to bust them in the face. You already thought about it. The situation comes, this is going to be my response. 
So because you know your weaknesses, then you can say, so if this situation arises, if my child does this, I'm going to respond this way. So you establish it for yourself. This is how I'm going to do it before you get in that situation. So if, if that give money to your child was the example, if that were your issue, you say, okay, Donovan's really young now, but when he's so-and-so, I'm going to go ahead and start a contract before we even start college. Does that make sense? And then follow through is follow through.